You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube, and if you are, you can see that I'm doing this from a different locale, not my house. But if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A M P I R E. Always, always, always much appreciated. And don't forget, you can follow, you can read my work on ESPN.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John underscore Kime. Just throwing it out there. Also, today, I am joined by salary cap guru, Joel Corey, former NFL agent, also host of the Inside the Cap podcast on Empire Media. And I wanted to bring Joel in at this time of the year because he's always insightful from with the money end of this business. And it is a big business, of course. So we run down a lot of the what, what's it going to cost to sign Deron Payne? What's it going to cost to possibly sign Montez Sweat, the Chase Young, the Chase Young fifth-year option situation? Um, all that stuff. Cole Holcomb, what's his value? One thing I forgot to ask him because I was so focused on guys who are free agents right now is Cam Curl. What is his value and what did he think? What does he think he would command? He thinks Curl's side would probably ask for something north of 15 or 15 million or so. Um, but he also said a lot of it depends on Cincinnati free agent Jesse Bates, safety, probably the top safety on the market, depending on what he gets. Spotrack, for example, projected Bates to only get around only, only get around 14 million. So if that's the case, then Curl's number would go probably go come down a little bit. We're also looking at Bates as a free agent right now versus Curl would be eligible for an extension, not for agency. So he still has another year on his deal. If he sees that, maybe he plays out. Who knows? But anyway, I'm I'm sure they're going to try and get something done with him in the spring. But anyway, that gives you some sense of the value. I did not get into Antonio Gibson that much because curious to see where that's going to go. But I'll get into more of that, his situation, probably in the spring when it gets time where they would really go after those kind of deals. The other stuff is more pressing. And so that's why I wanted to take on that first. So before I get to my conversation with Joel, a couple things. The combine, obviously, and I'm going to get to the ownership stuff in a minute because it's been a lot of crazy stuff floating around. Combine starts this week. Ron Rivera will talk to the media on Tuesday. I'm not going to be at the combine. ESPN will be well represented, and we will have stuff from Rivera. He'll be at the podium. It's going to be aired or streamed, um, and then I'll also probably end up having a story off it somehow. Mark Mayhew will talk at the podium on Wednesday, so stay tuned for that, and we'll get some updates from other people throughout the week. So there you go. That's one thing. Um, number two, the ownership situation. So there's a lot going on. I'm going to caution everybody to not overreact to everything that you see coming out, because what you always have to ask yourself in these situations is, what is somebody's motive here? Why is this story being leaked out? What does this mean? And it's it's funny because there's so much stuff that I feel like gets thrown out there 
And then you hear one side will say this, the other side say that's not even close to being accurate. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I just caution you not to overreact to everything that gets reported or is put out there. There's some things that that are worth looking at. And we what we know is that as far as like Jeff Bezos, a lot of stuff floating around about him. What we know is that there's no official bid from him on the commanders. We know that he hired Allen and company at some point whether it was recent or in the last couple of months to invest, to look into a possible bid on the commanders. Um, you know, you hear a lot of things with, with the Snyder's sell to Bezos owner of the Washington post. And, you know, is he blocking him? Is he this or that you hear about the blocking stuff? Is he being blocked from it? You hear one side says, you know, somebody says one thing, somebody else says another, um, somebody else says something else. So then I, I'm just going to caution you to not overreact to everything that comes out. And the other thing is, even if Bezos does or doesn't buy it, there are other people who are worthy owners. We don't know what kind of an owner Jeff Bezos would be. So I wouldn't overreact to whatever his presence is. There's a reason why his presence keeps getting um, put out there or his his name keeps put, getting put out there by whoever it is, right? So just don't overreact. I still think that he's going to, that Dan Snyder is going to sell. You know, I, you hear one day you hear that he has three bidders and that he has an offer over 6 billion. Then you hear that he doesn't have anything, you know, in that over 6 billion, that it's, it's, it's certainly lower. We'll find out at the, at, when it all comes out. I do think, like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on. And one reason why I've been somewhat quiet on this and as far as like stories or even on Twitter, because I don't think there's a lot of stuff that either I'm comfortable reporting because I think there's still more to learn or the, or you hear somebody squash it. And while it might be a great headline, I'm not sure that it's something that I want to run with. Um, you know, so that's why I just, I want you guys to know that. And I, I do think, like I said, a caution on your end is the best way to approach this because you're going to hear a lot of stuff over the next month about various things. And um, as my pal Rick Snyder once would talk about like all the subterfuge and how one, how certain groups might use, might use people to try and get information out there or, 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 or other to find their own information, whatever it is, just be cautious. That's all I'm asking you for right now. And that's that's what I am as a reporter. I'm Maybe I'm overly cautious, but that's the way it is. I just think it serves me better. I think it serves you better. So there you go. That's enough on all that stuff. Um, we'll hear more about the ownership stuff, and we'll probably have some more stuff about that this week. But so let's talk some money, but money for players, not the team. That's why let's get to my conversation with salary cap guru, former NFL agent, also writes for CBS Sports and the host of the Inside the Cap podcast, Joel Corey. Well, Joel, you're always a popular guy to talk to this time of the year, and people should listen to your podcast, um, you know, as part of the Empire Network. So, you know, popular, free agency coming up. I want to focus a little bit more first on the Washington players and then some of the bigger names, the Lamar Jackson types and all that. But the big name here is Deron Payne. And before people listen to this, it may be possible that he's already been tagged. I do expect him to get tagged. Financially, they want to get a deal done with Deron Payne. What are we looking at? Well, first of all, if you told me this time last year Deron Payne was getting franchise tagged, I would have laughed at you. But he played himself into it. Problem is he's got Joel Siegel as an agent. And I mean that as a compliment. 
Yeah. It, Joel Siegel is one of the best in the business. So this is not going to be a cheap deal. If you're thinking Jonathan Allen territory, good luck. Joel Siegel represents DeForest Buckner. DeForest Buckner in 2020 um, became the second highest paid interior defensive lineman behind Aaron Donald at $21 million per year. I would imagine the first thing Joel Siegel is going to do is take that deal, adjust for cap inflation. That's going to put you at almost $24 million per year. Do I think Deron Payne gets $24 million per year? No. But I imagine that that comes up in the negotiation. Then the next thing he might look at is, well, Aaron Donald's original deal, which was a ceiling for everybody else, was at $22.5 million per year. So if I can get in the $22.5 million per year range, then maybe that's where Joel Siegel would be comfortable accepting something. So it's going to cost you a lot more than you're anticipating to sign Deron Payne. And if you don't sign him early, he's just going to – Joel Siegel is going to wait for this reason. You have until July 17th, normally July 15th, to sign um, is a deadline for long-term deals for franchise players, but that's a Saturday this year, so it extends to the Monday, the following Monday, the 17th. He's going to wait and see what happens with the rest of the market. You've got two young guys, actually three young guys, who were in fifth-year options, um, Quentin Williams, who wants a deal before they start the offseason workout program in April, Jeffrey Simmons in Tennessee, and Dexter Lawrence, um, with the Giants. All three of those guys are going to should blow past that Aaron Donald original mark of $22.5 million per year. Then the big one is Chris Jones. He's in a contract year. He's got such a high cap number that it's going to be impossible to franchise him next year because that number will be over $35 million. If anyone has a case to say I should be close to or more than Aaron Donald, it is Chris Jones. Right. And this is under the theory that a rising tide will lift all boats, that if these guys end up getting more than that Aaron Donald amount, and I expect Jones, I mean the original Aaron Donald amount, $22.5 I expect Jones to be a lot closer to the actual Aaron Donald contract of $31.67 million per year. So if those guys are getting close to $25 million per year, then that's only going to help pain. You can't have the market as it is currently constituted, where Aaron Donald averages 50% more than everybody else who's at the high end of the market. So it's going to change. How much do you think Payne, how, or how much money do you think he made this year? Like, and a deal going into the year, what would you have thought a deal for him would look like versus now? Well, I thought if he could get to $17 million per year, I was thinking more Kenny Clark Vita uh, via, via, uh, type of money. Yeah. Um, that's out the window. Never thought he'd be above Jonathan Allen. So yeah, he's made himself a pretty, pretty penny this year. And it's, and it speaks to, cause I know like they could have done this last summer and taken care of it, but they, they all kind of gambled. Do you think you, and knowing what you know about Joel, do you think that he would have told Duran, don't sign it, don't sign anything now. And, or, you know, let's just see how the season goes. You think that would have been his strategy well, to kind of I'm get? I'm sure to he had point? a number in mind. If you were willing to hit that number, he'd have done the deal. And okay. and that's that was always yeah. what I thought when I was an agent. That if you give me my number and I like the structure, I don't need to incur the risk of poor performance in free agency and poor performance in injury in a in a contract year to get to free agency. I'll take my deal on the extension. Right, and I think part of it too is I I don't they didn't want to give him John Allen money, and now they're gonna <laughs> have to. Yeah. I mean, and you know, when how how should teams look at that? Because when they signed Allen, it's it will be almost well, this summer it'll be two years from the deal. Like 
can you really compare those deals in, in like in, in a one for one? If it's not, it's more about percentage of the cap that he got versus the money per year. Well, they're also looking at it if they think Allen's the better player from a salary hierarchy standpoint, right. they're not going to want to pay the guy that they don't feel is quite as good. I don't know if they think that way, but right. if they do, that factors into their, their considerations. How about the tag? Because again, they're they're going to end up tagging him because they, the deadline is what March seventh, and yes. it's the only way they're they're not going to let him test it. They want it to be just you know get get exclusive and and do that. How much will the tag impact what goes what happens after that? Yeah, well, yeah, the tag sitting on the cap, but you're going to be able to afford that because it comes out of what you're going to save with Carson Wentz. You're right. going to pick up almost 26.2 from 26.2 million from Carson Wentz not being around. So that will more than comfortably cover the tag. Doesn't give you tons of room to do other stuff. Um, ideally, the um, commanders want a long-term deal sooner rather than later because the way they've been structuring deals, if they go big signing bonus, low base salary first year, so the cap number in 2023 for Payne should never exceed 10 million if they do what they've been doing before. It might be less than that. What do you think? When we talked last year going into the offseason, or I think it was the the value for guys like Montez Sweat, Chase Young, has it what do you think their value is now going forward? Because Montez is going into the fifth year of his deal. Chase, we don't know yet if they're going to pick up that fifth year option. So both of them conceivably would be free agents after next year if they don't pick up Chase's fifth-year option. What is What do you think their value would look like um, down the road? Well, this is where Payne throws a wrinkle into everything. I didn't think you could keep all four guys, and I thought right. Payne was the odd man out. And if you're going to pay two guys in a position to be the edge rushers, but now you're going to pay the interior guys. So that's why the Chase Young decision becomes interesting. Um, with Montez Sweat, I'm looking at Bradley Chubb. And I'm like, well, he's at 22. I want to be close to that. I don't know if he can get that, but that's what I'd be looking for. And then Chase Young is interesting from the standpoint that he was rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year, went to the Pro Bowl. The second year was concerning because the sacks dropped to mm-hmm. one and a half in the nine games he'd actually play before he tore up his knee. Then it took a long time to come back this year. Um, so there's not a lot of track record. Uh, there is one guy where there is a precedent for what happened and a different position, but with the Chargers, Derwin James, great rookie year right. and played five games in year two and year three. They still – it's a different price point, but they did pick up the fifth-year option, and then he went back to being Derwin James. Now, if I'm the commanders and I gamble and he was picked that high for a reason – was the rookie of the year for a reason. Let's say I don't pick up the fifth-year option. This is a contract year. You're going to have to put a franchise tag on him if he turns back into who you thought he was going to be when you drafted him. And then if I'm the agent, I'm doing you zero favors because you could have had the fifth year, and you're going to have to franchise me or I'm looking to leave. Right Now, what I would do if I'm the team is um, I know it's going to be $17.452 million, right. and it will be fully guaranteed. I pick it up because of the kind of the James precedent and also to preserve some flexibility. Let's say that he comes back and he's not what he was as a rookie, but still shows like he's going to be pretty good. Then I have a fifth year option where if 
I'm not still sold on Chase Young being what I thought he would be, but he's still a good player. I can trade him someplace. Right. Get something in return. If I don't pick up the fifth-year option, yeah, I'll get a compensatory pick and hopefully a third-round pick um, in 2025. But I'd rather preserve my options and, and take the risk that he's going to be close to what he should be and be worth the 17, almost five on the fifth-year option and figure out what I'm going to do with uh, Montez Sweat. It'll be interesting to see if they do an extension for Sweat now or let him play it out. But I tend to think it may be an either-or proposition with the, who's there long-term because it's going to be hard to keep all four. Although, if Sam Howell is your quarterback, right. you have a cost-contained cheap quarterback, you can splurge on the op, on the defensive line because you got a fifth-round pick quarterback, and that's about as good of a value as you're ever going to get if he's right. the guy, which if we don't know. If, if he's the guy. Do you look for – when you're trying to analyze some of this stuff, how much do you look for what they're saying – versus their actions and all that. Like, what are little clues that you look for to see what how somebody feels about a, a guy's value? Uh, well, anytime the coach or the front office says something glowing about the player, um, I used to love that as an agent. I would call that my own personal Miranda rule, that <laughs> you have the right to, right to remain silent. <laughs> Anything you say positive about my client can and will be used against you in a contract negotiation. I used to actually keep a file of any time someone, front office, coaching staff, said something flattering or positive about a client, and it did come up in negotiations. Now, the whole Chase Young non-committal thing makes me wonder if they're kind of soured on the guy. Yeah, and I, I think I think a lot of what they want to see, Joel, is is his commitment to being there in the offseason, something that they haven't always seen in the past. I definitely think that's part of the equation there for him. And you know, it's funny because toward the end of the year, one of the reporters asked Ron Rivera about some players and that, and he was already starting to get into negotiation mode because he kind of shot it down. Like, you think I want to say this, these great things about this guy and then have the agent use this. And there's part of me that says like, well, wouldn't the agent. So his agent probably did the same thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, Definitely. But it is funny because how often would that pay off for you? Like, and what would what would the be reaction be if you're whipping out these positive quotes? Uh, sometimes those teams tried to ignore it, like they never said it. I'm like, I send it to you. <laughs> uh, but I'm, it really happened with Jimmy Smith of the Jaguars that um, Tom Coughlin had called him the best receiver in the league. I was like, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> how much extra money did that get him? Do you think? Uh, I don't know how much extra, but I kept hammering that point home. It was like a broken record after a while. And it was like, we, we know, we know, we heard that. I'm like, well, you said it, you shouldn't have said it. <laughs> that's, but, but and, what, I mean, you got, you have to use everything in negotiations, right? I mean, yes. That's what, that's what it's for, you know? So, but what about um with, what about a guy like Cole Holcomb? Free agent linebacker coming up, coming off an injury. What do you think his value, market value might be if, if they want to keep him? Here's the problem with the off-ball linebacker market. Most of these guys are going to look at Foya, Luakon, yeah. that type of thing, and overvalue themselves. DeAndre Campbell did that for a couple of years, played on one-year deals, finally got the long-term deal from Green Bay. Bobby Wagner, who hasn't really lost a step when he was released by Seattle – 
had a hard time getting to 10 million per year when it really should have been more. So you gotta be careful if you're an off-ball off-ball linebacker and how you value yourself. Otherwise, you're gonna be playing on a one-year deal at four or five million per year. A couple of these guys will get paid like Tremaine um Edmonds. Right. I don't know where TJ Edwards comes in. He should be a double digit per year guy. That remains to be seen. But that market, more than any other market, you better be very careful on how you value yourself. What do you think Edmonds will get? If I'm him, I'm trying to get in that C.J. Mosley territory. That deal was done, I think, 2019. I want more than that, $17 million per year. The only problem with Buffalo, and this gets back to what I was talking about, who's the better player. They got Matt Milano when he was coming off of an injury-plagued year where he played like 35%. His deal averages like $10.4 million per year. He's the pro bowler, all pro guy. <laughs> um, Edmonds isn't. They're going to have to pay him more than that to keep him. Then let's say they keep him. They have cap problems anyway. You have to adjust Milano because of a pay discrepancy between the two. Um, I, I expect he's going to go someplace else in free agency and get paid. He's the guy out of the off-ball linebackers I expect to get paid. What's what do you think a dollar amount would be good for a Heineke? Because these guys want to sign a veteran quarterback to to pair with Hall, and Hall is going to go in. Hall is going to have to lose the job. So you're going to get a Heineke level type. Maybe I don't know about Brissett may have gone a little bit above that right now. But what do you think that range of a guy and in, in that range would cost them? Well, one by all counts, he seems to have the right demeanor and attitude. He did not make too big of a stink when right. they went back to Carson Wentz when they shouldn't have late in the season. Um, I'd look more at what happened with uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Tyrod Taylor. Bridgewater signed a one-year deal for $6.5 million, maxed out at 10 of incentives. Tyrod Taylor, $11 million over two, maxes out at $17 million. Even Jimmy Garoppolo took a pay cut for base value of $7 million, with much more incentives. So somewhere in that neighborhood for the base value, um, I'd say five and a half to seven would be the average and then upside where he plays and he could make upwards to 12 million, depending upon how much he plays. Right. And get some more of those Jordans. <laughs> He's get some yeah, more exactly. Jordan, you know? so, yeah. 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 There you go. Um, then the other guys that I want to talk to you about too, is because the, these guys need offensive linemen tackles, whether you know, they're going to replace their guards, whether it's moving, right tackle Sam Cosme inside to right guard or keep him out at right tackle. They're going to have some, I think they'll have two different guards. How is that market shaping up um, as far as like, you know, what, if you wanted to get a top guard, top tackle, you have guys like it's Orlando Brown, McClinchy from San Francisco, um, McGarry, you know, guys like that. Orlando Brown's not going anywhere. They're going to stick a second franchise tag on him for like 19.9. Caleb McGarry would scare me just from the standpoint that he performed so poorly coming into this year, they didn't pick up a fifth-year option, puts right. it all together. Buyer beware free agent. Um, his fifth-year option, I think, was a little over $12 million. He's probably going to look at the Jack Conklin deal, who just uh, re-upped with Cleveland for right. $15 million, um, per year uh, towards the end of the regular season. McGlinchey probably be looking at the top, tack- top of the tackle market anywhere from – 17 to 19 million. There's a interesting guy 
from a left tackle standpoint, it is hitting the open market. Uh, Taylor Lewan, he's getting yeah. cut by the Titans, injury prone, two ACL tears last couple of years when he was healthy, was a Pro Bowl guy, previously was the highest paid offensive lineman in the league. That may be a one-year prove-it deal with some incentives because he barely played last year, but he may want to just kick the tires on it and see <laughs> Right, yeah, and because I think, and I think, depending on where they want to go, depending if they'd want him at right tackle or left, because you, you still have Leno that they have to pay. Um, the guard market too, like it's Reisner, who else? Is there? Um, Powers, Nate Davis. I know Matt Bowen from ESPN projected Davis to Washington, or at least his 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 prediction was. Um, what, what, how is that market looking? Because last year it seemed like the guards were starting to go pretty high. I don't think any of these guys get above Lake and Tomlinson. Okay. So you're talking no more than 13 million per year. Don't forget um, Isaac Sumalu from right. uh, Eagles. I don't think he'll be back in Philly right. um, and taking someone from division rival. That's uh, that was another one. Yep. Thanks. Probably between 10 and 13 for these guys, which isn't bad, which is funny to say, because like last year, that market went too high in my belief, just, for, for what you're you don't getting have any Joe Tooney's out there this year um, right. to pay. Um, there's no Joel Petonios or Wyatt Tellers who both resigned um, with the Browns last year. So just a couple more, and let's go to the quarterbacks. And these guys are not going to again. The, any quarterback they get is going to be that mid-level veteran type who can bet, who is comfortable back. Yeah, so you might as well stick with Heineke because he knows the system. You know what you got with him, right? And so then nobody, but, nobody's going to make him a starter. No, they're not. And so from a national perspective, you got Lamar, Derek Carr, and then what do you do with Daniel Jones? What do you think happens with those quarterbacks? And by the time, like the Carr situation might be settled by the time, because this will be out on Monday, that might be settled by the time it comes out. But as we sit right now, what do you think? Well, Carr's taking his time from what his brother said. He's going to do all the due diligence and make the right decision. Um, first thing I'm trying to do is be made whole. He had like, I think, 116 over three left on the contract. I don't think he gets that high. He had like 40 million of guarantees, which the Raiders didn't pick up. Should get more guarantees, but um, keep in mind that the average starting salary for a uh, court start for a quarterback on a veteran contract was 32 million per year, uh, according to FLPA data. So it's probably at least that per year. Jones is an interesting case from the standpoint that if those reports are accurate, if the agent switch, he's a- asking for $45 million per year, that screams you're playing on your franchise tag for $32.4 million. Yeah. And if I'm the Giants, I'm looking at it from the standpoint as, dude, we didn't pick up that option for a reason because right. you hadn't done anything for three years. You were good this year. You weren't great. You want $45 million great. No. Um, nobody's going to give up two first-round picks for you, so we can go non-exclusive tag. Um, I would be looking to do – my 45 is too high. That's not getting yeah. done. And I don't know what precipitate the agent switch. I would would have come in 40 over three. Um, looking at basically if you tag me three times and give you a slight discount, and I'd be willing to settle for – on a three-year deal in between 35 and probably 38 with the first two years fully guaranteed um, with some incentives and upside based on what I do. Uh, Now, Lamar, that's the one which has taken up all the oxygen nationally. Um, He's he's not hitting the open market. Anyone who says he could be a free agent, I'm like, you're just trying to 
generate attention unnecessarily. Correct. It comes down first to whether he's going to relent on the fully guaranteed contract. I don't think he is. Two, are the Ravens going to give it to him? No. He got injured this year, so that's less incentive to want to give someone a fully guaranteed contract. Three, uh, who is going to help him in the market get a fully guaranteed contract? I think no one. Jalen Hurts won't get one. It won't be Joe Burrow because they don't guarantee anything in their veteran contracts outside of signing bonus. They're not going to go from zero to 100, go from nothing to fully guaranteed. They'll be like Pittsburgh did with T.J. Watt, where they didn't do anything which was besides signing bonus except for Ben Roethlisberger, and that was injury guarantees only. They'll give them conventional guarantees. Justin Herbert, I don't think, will get one. So he's still sitting out there on an aisle. Now, the question is, do you go non-exclusive where you invite an offer sheet? And that's how somebody may give him a fully guaranteed contract out of desperation and his two first-round picks if it isn't matched. That's $32.416 million. I wouldn't do that for one reason. One, if you want the guy, why put him at risk? And two, two first-round picks is not enough for Lamar Jackson. The reason I say that is you had two quarterbacks last year, Deshaun Watson, go for three first-round picks plus. Russell Wilson went for three first-round picks plus as well. So the market for Lamar Jackson should be a minimum of three first-round picks. Plus, you've had nine quarterbacks go for more than two first-round picks in recent years. Jamal Adams a safety, Jalen Ramsey, and Laramie Tunsil. So that screams exclusive franchise tag, which means it's a closed negotiation. Can't shop yourself for an offer sheet. The price point is different. Right now, the exclusive tag projects to $45.248 million, but is subject to change based on what else happens in the market between now and the restrict end of the restricted signing period, create a signing period on April 21. So restructures could push that number down. But the thing is, you only have to count count the player at the non-exclusive tag initially until that number gets finalized April 22nd or 23rd. So that buys you some time to not have all the cap room count and maybe get a deal done. I've always thought this was a 2024 problem. Some people say Lamar won't play on a franchise tag, let's say the exclusive for $45 million. He hadn't made that much in his career yet. And it's easy to say, I won't play on for such and such. Jesse Bates was saying it. I'm not going to play on the tag, and what did he do? Play on it. <laughs> Lamar's made $31, $32 million in his career, and he can make $45 on one tag. He'll probably do it. He may not show up until real late, and that's a problem when you have right. a new offensive coordinator. Then 2024 is the reckoning year where it's $54 million the second tag because the third tag in 2025 would be almost $78 million and that would never happen. Right. And, you know, the funny thing, to be clear, like I know there were a couple of people touting the commanders as possibly, you know, should they trade for him? Like they're not trading for him. They, they don't want to give up the picks. They don't have the money to give up. And then it restricts them from doing so many things. So anybody who's wondering about that, put it out of your heads. Not going to happen. Last thing, Joel, is there a team that you're watching more than any other to see how they handle the offseason because of the cap and the money situation they're in? Yeah, the Chicago Bears. First of all, they got like 95 million in cap room. So they should be, and I think they have, they're below the minimum spending of 90%. And it's over a three year period. And it's the last year of the three year period. So they're going to have to spend money. Then outside, outside of, 
the free agency, or they do a quarterback. Right. They've got the number one pick. There's been a school of thought that if you think that Bryce Young is better than Justin Fields, who has more upside, maybe you take him number one and then trade uh, Fields. If, you, if you're set on Fields as your guy, someone should want to move up like maybe Indy to number one. You can pick up an extra first-round pick and something else and move down no no more than fourth so you can be in a position to get either Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. I think the other team to me too is Philly because they do have a number of free key free agents. And then there's the Jalen Hurts talk. What do you think happens there? With not just well, with their situation in general, because they do have, I think I remember when, when, you know, I, I think it was again, Matt Bowen put out his top 50 list. I think like six of them were Eagles within the top 40 or something like that. Yeah. They've got a ton of guys. Uh, first is Jason Kelsey going to retire or play football. That's right. one decision. I Fletcher Cox won't be back the way that contract is structured. Brandon Graham, you don't, he was a luxury to have this year. Um, you can't have a situational pass rusher on a cap number of nine, four again, he had 11 sacks. He'll probably go elsewhere and get money. Um, this hurts deal to me. Um, your floor is Kyler Murray, which is 46.1 million per year. Kyler Murray has been to one playoff game. And you probably could, the Rams probably should have given him a game ball for how poorly he played in that playoff game. Um, Hertz was MVP runner-up, yep. was the best player in the Super Bowl. So that's your absolute worst-case scenario. Um, what the Eagles did with Carson Wentz was they made him the fourth-highest-paid player in the league um, when they gave him his extension. So that's 46, if you go by that, for Deshaun Watson. Um I'd look more to what happened with another quarterback in Wentz's draft class, Jared Goff. He got an extension later that year, which tied him for the second highest paid player to lead at the time. He was a guy that was an MVP candidate until he had a late season slump. They got to the Super Bowl and lost. He was unimpressive in the Super Bowl. Nonetheless, he still became the second highest paid player. Right now, the second highest paid player is Russell Wilson at $49 million per year. To me, the magic number, if I represent Jalen Hurts, is $50 million per year I want a, on a four-year extension. I'm not doing any of this Patrick Mahomes nonsense because I guarantee you Patrick Mahomes may not say it publicly, but he sees all these quarterbacks going by his $45 million per year. He ain't gonna, he ain't happy. He, or if, he's, if he isn't happy, he will be unhappy <laughs> within two years when you have double-digit quarterbacks making more than he does. That's and human that nature. And that's why these these guys need Sam Howell to make it work because those numbers are unbelievable. Joel, thanks for coming on. Tell people where they can find your work. Okay. Um, you can listen to my podcast, Inside the Cap, on contracts and salary cap matters. Um, usually do one episode, good stuff. one episode weekly, sometimes two. Also, you can run a regular cbssports.com column, Agent Stake, um, as well. Um, the next article that's coming out will be a – Frequently asked questions about franchise and transition tags. There you go, Joel. Thanks a lot, man. Always, always, I always love talking to you this time of the year because you're so, so important with your knowledge. Thank you. And thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Joel for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back on Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning with another podcast. So we'll talk to you next time.